The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. Hey guys, as always, a big thank you for listening to the show. We've got a small but very important favor to ask of you, and you might be able to actually get something out of it too. If you could just complete a short survey for us, it would be of great help to the show, making things better for both us and you as the listener. PodcastOne.com slash survey is where you need to go. That's PodcastOne.com slash survey. And the first 250 people who complete the survey will get a $10 gift card to Amazon.com. And two grand prize winners will be selected at random to get a $100 Amazon gift card. So you get free money. It's a win-win. Our shows are supported by our advertisers. So filling this out will really help us cater to the needs of you as a listener. So please just go to podcastone.com slash survey, answer some questions, and potentially make some money along the way. Thank you, as always, for being a dedicated listener to the PFF NFL podcast. All right, guys, exciting football action continues on and daily fantasy at Yahoo is better than ever this season. Yahoo Daily Fantasy recently released a new $300,000 NFL baller contest with $30,000 to first place. It's just $10 to enter. You got to check it out today. Yahoo Daily Fantasy Football has new contests every week with guaranteed cash prizes. Even if you don't score a perfect lineup, you can still walk away from the game with a little cash. So get started right now at yahoo.com slash daily fantasy. That's yahoo.com slash daily fantasy. And when you make your first deposit, use the promo code pod 25. That's pod two five for $25 in free play. That's pod two five promo code for $25 in free play over at yahoo.com slash daily fantasy. All right. I want to just tell you about our friends over at pole sports an online site that allows you to get instant fantasy football advice through real time polls. Poll sports allows you to create a poll with your custom league settings Then get votes and advice from credible fantasy players like Sam and I over here answering questions about who to start, who will win a trade, who to drop, and who to pick up. Sam, I know you played around with this a little bit, asked some questions, answered some questions. How easy is it to get your fantasy advice over at Pole Sports? It is super easy, and the thing that I like the best is there's receipts. You get to actually see who the experts are. You don't have to trust somebody say so. You can see somebody's exact record in terms of credibility in answering these polls and make sure you're only listening to the right advice. I feel like the old way to do it is to go find Jeff Ratcliffe and Mike Clay and you find all the experts and you have to tweet at them individually. Uh But now you can actually go to one spot, post your question, find out what you want to find out and let the masses or the experts tell you 
what you need to know. So you post a poll, the votes come in, advice comes in almost instantan- instantaneously. The advice you receive is tailored to your league settings. If it's a redraft, dynasty, keeper, PPR, standard, doesn't matter. You search polls by player name. You can see which ones have already been created. Vote on polls during the week, then log back in on Tuesday afternoon to see how accurate you were. So best of all, Poll Sports is completely free to use, has no paywalls of any kind. So please, right now, head to pollsports.com, set up your free account, and get instant advice today. Welcome in. It's the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzola here with Sam Monson. Preview in week seven, Sam. We are. We are indeed. Welcome. Welcome. Thanks, Steve. Got some of the newest PFF merchandise going right here. Throw the damn ball. It's over at the PFF store. It is. Where do people get to the PFF store? Shop.pff.com. So you guys can pick one up too. Throw the damn ball. It's our uh, our pushback against Quentin Nelson's run the damn ball hat. Mm. Right? We have hats there as well. We do have hats Throw as well. The damn ball so that's hats. why it's Colts colors. And then we've got Hulkamania style colors over here. Look at this thing. It's our creep back toward average shirt. Promise me you'll never put that on and then rip it off. I'm so tempted. It's all I want to do. I know. When I see the yellow and red, I just want to rip it to shreds. (laughs) Well, that's my shirt. I'm going to wear this on the next podcast, probably on Monday. Creep back toward average. There it is. Is this a spoof off of dodgeball or I don't know how what uh, what the reasoning was behind the the colors. We're going to find out. But that's it. Creep back toward average and throw the damn ball. Why don't you get a new shirt? Where's your Minshew? I, I don't have it on. You better wear it before Foles takes back over. <laughs> they wouldn't do that. You don't think so? No. All right. Week seven preview. We're getting ready for another week of action. Let's touch on Thursday night. Washington Redskins at the Minnesota Vikings. What is your uh, what's your note on this game here? Case Keenum revenge game. So mine's a Kirk Cousins revenge game. <laughs> they flipped spots. QB revenge. Two years later. Um, I don't think that it's really a a revenge game for either of them, to be honest. Um, I'm more curious as to where the Adam Thielen targets go. So Thielen yeah. not going to be playing. Uh, is it Olabisi Johnson time? I think it's Olabisi. He had a nice game on Sunday. Is it Irv Smith time? Is it Kyle Rudolph time? Who picks up the extra targets um, with Stephon Diggs presumably being the primary um, receiver at this point? I'm curious to see where the targets now go for the secondary threat. Yeah, I think that's worth watching. I want to see what Kirk Cousins keeps, you know, if he can keep it up. Uh, he should be able to have some success against the Washington defense. But, you know, Cousins has all of these, um, all the things fighting against him, right? Like, can you win a road game? Can you win against the division? Can you win the big game? Now it's the primetime game. Uh-huh. You know, Cousins, he's not really completely Andy Dalton-ish in primetime, but he doesn't have a whole lot of games where the whole world's watching where he's great. Yeah. So... Um, the other thing is, so, you know, every year there's, there's a sequence of game or there's a game where there's literally no reason for one team to win and they do because the the NFL just likes doing that to people. Tell me why Washington should win this game. Why they should. Mm -hmm. Can you think of a single reason? Yeah. I mean, they haven't, they haven't been great defensively, but they've been better in recent weeks, even outside of the hurricane. Quentin Dunbar is playing some really good football and Case Keenum, while not playing well, should play a little bit better. He's a little bit better than what he's shown. This just feels like one of those games where, you know, I don't have a good reason. Everybody's going to be picking the Vikings. We're unanimous on the Vikings. Spoiler alert. Um, 
I would imagine pretty much anybody picking this game is going with the Minnesota Vikings. And I honestly wouldn't shock me if we come out of it and it's like, yeah, you know what? <laughs> the Redskins shocked them. Yeah, I think this is it's just one of those games where things could revert back just a little bit. The Redskins have some talent on the defensive front. Could they take advantage of the Vikings O-line? Ultimately, though, we're expecting the Vikings to win. Yeah. And if you guys are listening on Friday, you already saw that. You already saw the game. Hopefully it was a good one. 99% at pick watch for the Vikings. So everybody expects them to win. This is one of those games, honestly, that wouldn't shock me if because there's simply because there's no reason for it to go the other way. It will go the other way. Like, like remember the Bills when game last year? Yeah. The Vikings bills where it's like, there's literally no reason they should lose this game and yet trounced. Yeah. So that'll be fun for everyone to see slash having seen. Yeah. Hope you guys already saw it and enjoyed it. All right. Let's move on to the rest of the weekend. Carolina Panthers at the San Francisco 49ers. We'll go a little bit more in depth on this game. I love the weekly reports that. Yeah. Uh, Kyle Allen's going to start this week for the Panthers. Mm hmm. Like people are really waiting for Cam Newton. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna ride Kyle, Kyle Allen until till the end here, till he loses. Yeah, I mean, which, which could be this week, right? It's the same with all these kind of stand-in quarterbacks that are doing quite well, except Drew Brees and the Saints. Um, it's like, well, let's let's keep going until they give us a reason to make the switch. Whether it's Minshew Foles, whether it's uh, Kyle Allen, Cam. You know, it's like none of these guys are Drew Brees. So let's let's keep riding the hot hand until they stink. If Andrew Luck comes out of retirement, do the Colts stick with Brissett? Yeah. Yeah. I think Luck would come straight back in. Uh, Yeah, I agree. Um, So Kyle Allen, you know, he's had a ton of success. Would you be surprised to know that he's our 26th graded quarterback overall, despite ranking fourth in passer rating? No, but only because I knew that already. Because of your familiarity with uh, Premium Stats 2.0? That's all part of your PFF Elite package? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Kyle Allen, the thing that's not showing up in the grades is that 20 fumble grade. We've talked about this quite a bit. Fumbles don't show up in the stats. He's had some issues pocket presence-wise, and now you have a San Francisco pass rush that is getting after it this year. Obviously, they're doing a great job on the back end. Number two defense behind the New England Patriots so far this year, so the biggest challenge for Kyle Allen in his uh, his young career. Yeah, it really is. Um, and again, like every one of these weeks is the 49ers proving or getting another chance to prove or put beyond reasonable doubt that this is actually a really good team. Um, and we I kind of said it before that like Jimmy Garoppolo is not playing particularly well, which in the same way, you know, before the logic was that Trubisky doesn't have to be great. And that's actually a good thing for the Bears, because if he ever does get it, they suddenly become really, really good. Now, obviously, that didn't work out because Trubisky's gone the other way. But with Garoppolo, it's the same idea, right? The 49ers are cooking. They're undefeated, and the quarterback isn't actually playing that well. If he gets back towards that 2017 form, now they're, they're really hard to beat. Yeah, same idea. He's still grading at 72.2. It is different from Trubisk. Right who we were saying was an actual hindrance. Yes. I mean, Garoppolo has been solid outside of two games pretty much this year has put the ball in harm's way more than you would like. So, yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, Kyle Shanahan too. the running game has been fantastic in San Francisco. They have had the Bengals game, the Browns game. They've had multiple games where the run game, as much as we say, throw the damn ball, the run game has been so good that it's like, all right, that's a huge part of them winning. So creative run game, outstanding play action game, good play calling. And now they add Emmanuel Sanders to the mix as well. So, 
you know, the Niners are, um, I think they're for real. I don't know that they're undefeated powerhouse real. I don't know that they're better than the Packers or the Saints, but, you know, right. they're still they're still up there. And the, so the Emmanuel Sanders thing is going to be fascinating as well, because uh, like, remember for years, there was this debate about whether was it design or was it just circumstance when the Lions never had a run game? But were they doing that deliberately or could they just never find a running back? Um, we're going to get the same kind of idea with the 49ers, right? It's like, do they not have a number one wide receiver because they haven't been able to find one? Or does this offense simply not really require one and they've got a number one receiver? It's just George Kittle. Um, like we've talked before about how they didn't really have the stable of great wide receivers, but they don't actually need them because all their matchup problems and all their real weapons are at tight end or at fullback. They're at other positions and the wideouts, unlike every other offense, they're just kind of there um, to pick up bits and pieces the same way tight ends are in other offenses. Now you get Emmanuel Sanders who, you know, has come back off an Achilles injury that usually puts sort of skill position guys down and out for a, a real period of time. He's, I got a top 15 grade at PFF right now. It was top 10 until a week or two ago where Joe Flacco had a particularly Joe Flacco game. Um, so, you know, Emmanuel Sanders has definitely still got juice and we'll see if the 49ers do kind of adjust this offense to take advantage of the fact that they do now have somebody that can really win on the outside. Yeah, I think it's as much about Kyle Shanahan just adjusting to his personnel. I mean, obviously he had he knew how to use Julio, sure. in, you know, in 15 and 16 when he was with Atlanta. Uh, it is funny when people are like, oh, perfect fit for the 49ers. They love good route runners. It's like, yeah, they every offense does pretty well with guys that get open. Mm. That's a good thing for everybody. So, yeah, I mean, San Francisco's kind of been like what New England is doing right now and grabbing a whole bunch of like twos and running them out there and seeing what works. That's kind of been San Francisco the last couple of years plus Kittle. So yeah, this could, could be a huge boom for the, uh, for the passing game. Yeah. So the Niners, it, is this just, it's like a perfect season so far for the Niners. You know, like when you, when you predict what could happen during the season, it's a lot of, well, if this happens and this happens and this happens, that'll be good. It's like every good possibility for the Niners, the secondary comes back you know the youth gets better the pass rush does work garoppolo's back the pass the rushing offense is like a lot all the what-ifs are good right now for for the niners and you know can they sustain it through the rest of the season still have to play seattle twice baltimore the saints uh, the rams they still have a lot of uh, tough games yeah they do but I, these are why these these games are interesting it's like this constant kind of battle to prove themselves you know we still Again, it's like you've got to come to the conclusion at this point that, yeah, the 49ers are legitimate. They are a good team. They're way better than I think people gave them credit for coming into the season. Now the question becomes how good? Are they good enough to beat you know a pretty good team in the Panthers? And then are they good enough to beat the best teams like the Packers and the Saints and you know those kind of things? So I think this whole season now becomes really interesting for them because it's a, a constant kind of um, – you know, a constant kind of gauging of how good this team actually is. I'll tell you what. I mean, as much as we spent the offseason talking about, yeah, coverage over pass rush and all that stuff. And, and in a vacuum, yes, that's true. But when you have the edge rush situation that they had, and now you have D Ford with 18 pressures on just 107 rushes and Nick Bosa with 31 pressures on 140 PFF pass rush grades, 89 for Ford, 81.4 for Nick Bosa. I mean, that is just a huge change up front. It really, I mean, yeah, they for years have been able, uh, haven't had the edge rush presence and they addressed it hard. 
they got a you know big free agent or essentially a free agency um, acquisition and a draft acquisition. They attacked it both ways they could have in the offseason, and both of them appear to have panned out immediately. Like that's a that's really well done, and b that typically doesn't happen. Like even if you get two good players that route, the chance of them both hitting the ground running and dominating is pretty slim. And the Christian McCaffrey matchup against Fred Warner, Quan Alexander, a couple pretty good coverage linebackers as far as athleticism goes and everything. That should be a nice little little matchup. Do you think Kyle Allen can um, – I don't want to say keep, keep it going because I think you know our grades have differed, but statistically he's looking good, and he's throwing the ball well. Like His actual mm-hmm. throws, he's, he's doing a, a pretty nice job. Can he keep it going? But what's interesting is the accuracy is kind of – disappeared since he came in like the first few weeks his accuracy was absurd and it was like hey look when you take cam out and you put an actual accurate quarterback in there now you've got all this yards after the catch yada yada that has kind of evaporated since or the longer he's been starting um and he's you know he's certainly shown i think more than a lot of people expected him to but i think the longer he stays there the more it's starting to look like you know what Eh, maybe not so you're not you're not expecting it no. You're not expecting it to keep up. Not so much. All right. I'm not really either. The Panthers have the number 73 run defense grade. I do think San Francisco wants to continue to pound the rock, work off of that. So that should be a, a decent matchup there as well. And uh, anything else you're looking for in this game? No. So I was just looking up uh, old Quan Alexander because um, after three, another one of these, you know, three week sample size things, after three weeks, he hadn't missed a tackle. And, you know, it was like, huh, they fixed him. Quan's good now. Did they? Uh, yeah. And in the last two weeks, he's missed five. So maybe a little too early to call that we taught Quan to tackle in the space of an offseason. Yeah. Um, but that'll be an interesting one to see how he plays over the, the remainder of the year. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we're taking San Francisco, you and I. Looks yes. like just Bruce taking Carolina. It's mm-hmm. in San Francisco. So we're all, we're both expecting the Niners to stay undefeated Indeed. here in Week Seven. All right, another uh, we got a four o'clock game: uh, Cleveland Browns at the New England Patriots. Mm-hmm. I think on paper, coming into the season, looks like a really really enticing matchup. The Browns trying to take the next step, going up against the dynasty of the Patriots. The Browns have lost a little bit of the luster, but when you look at who New England has played since Week One in the Steelers, this is their toughest matchup of the season since week one. It is, which is kind of incredible. Um, what What is interesting is this. So the New England off, or defense rather is on historical type pace. Yeah. You know, 85 Bears, 2000 Ravens, Patriots. Like it's in that kind of ilk at the moment. But as you say, they basically haven't played anybody. Um, so they're going to get some more hard, more difficult tests as the season goes on. We'll get to see kind of where that ends up being. But right now, this defense is pretty terrifying. We saw what it did to Sam Darnold of the same draft class. Um, we saw, in fact, more than the Jets were happy for us to see in terms of catching him on the sidelines saying he was seeing ghosts. Um, does Baker see ghosts as well? Because he's run into some defenses already. Bef- he's already been seeing ghosts all year. He has, but he's also run into... De- well, he sees ghosts kind of in the pocket at the moment, right? Yeah, he's got like Casper the friendly pocket and he's running away from him. Casper the Friendly Pocket. Um, he was a cartoon ghost. No, I know who Casper was. Oh, he made it overseas to you? Great. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, you guys have Scooby-Doo over there too? Yeah. 
Really? Sweet. I don't know how much stuff just, you know. We're not like a make... third world country. Like, <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, compared to America. Yeah. Everybody is. Uh-huh. Yeah. Go no, wait. We have so many foreign listeners, too. We can't. Yeah, you just, you just piss them all off right there. Yeah. Hold on. Um, I love everybody. So he's been he's been seeing uh, ghosts in the pocket more than downfield, but he's run into good defenses before where yeah. it's like, I, Baker's one of these guys that will go down swinging, you know? And it's like, all right, I, I misread that one. Whoops. Let's, I'm not going to learn the lesson though. I'm just going to keep, keep slinging it and see what happens. And then four interceptions later, it's like, yeah, yeah, that, that really didn't go well. Um, so I'm kind of curious to see how that goes. What was, so it was intriguing watching the Jets Patriots thing unfold, right? Because obviously it was a disaster for the Jets. And um, so everyone was kind of focusing on what this zero blitz stuff was doing to the Jets protections, right? Because Darnold was constantly getting destroyed by it. Now it's, it's kind of designed so that it does screw up a protection and you always have an extra guy, right? Mm -hmm. But with that in mind, why have you not got an automatic, hot route on both sides so they're running these well the first one they did and he missed it by a mile the first one but there were a lot of these plays in there where you look and it's like all right there's an extra guy there Darnold knows he's coming and what why is the ball not in the air it's not covered like they have a guy dropping out but he's coming from the other side of the formation he's not in your way if you're running a slant the guy is playing off man coverage that is open put the ball in the air that's an eight yard gain not a panic throw in the in the face of the blitz so as much as this defensive game plan did completely wreck the jets it it's not um it's not impregnable like if this brand's offense studies that tape and figures out like what it was they were doing i think you can target this game plan or you can target that style of aggressive defense. Now that's not to say they'll actually do that against the Browns because as we know, yeah, but they're also the using mix it. it up every single They week. also use the zero, you know, I mean, even when you use it a lot, it's like a, no, I know, but the there's time. a lot of the stuff they're doing where that was wrecking drives, right? They were dialing it up the right time, completely destroys the drive punt. Let's play another set of downs, but that's what they did in the Super Bowl against Goff. Right. That's what forced the, the interception. But they really were leaving spaces to be exploited. The Jets just didn't seem to have any idea how to do it. Now, I don't know if the Browns will either, but I think if you have a week to look at that, there's some holes in that that you can actually attack. I mean, a couple of them. Here's the thing. I'm not this isn't defending. I'm not even defending. I am just explaining, you know, some of them. The first interception that Darnold threw Should we draw a little bit. Oh, God. The first interception that Darnold threw, if you got the old line and you got Sam and they had a You understand that receiver. most of the people listening to this podcast can't see you scroll this on is the for TV the, This is why us. you're supposed to tune in on YouTube. Okay. So the first one, you got a million blitzers. Here they all come. Uh-huh. And Darnold's just trying to hit a little flat route. Now, they're going single coverage here and single coverage here. So the outside corner, I'll do it like I'm on radio as well, like on the podcast. Like, so the outside corner, usually when you get zero blitz, right? What's your technique as the corner? You're just covering your man, mm-hmm. right? But the Patriots had Devin McCourty lined up outside, eyes on the quarterback. Yeah, the Le'Veon Bell play. Yeah. yeah. So his eyes are on the quarterback the whole time. So a lot of time when you have zero, you're like, all right, it's man coverage. They're backs to me. You know, you just kind of yeah. hit that quick route or whatever. Now, it was. But that's not where you throw the quick route. The guy at, on the sideline running 12 but yards. But this was open. It was a little. It was a little flat route or a little quick out. It was more so Darnold's inaccuracy. Yes, 
was bad, right? I mean, his accuracy was bad. He's he's under pressure. He did the little fadeaway, and he missed it. But the fact that Devin McCourty is covering the outside guy and eyes on the quarterback, not necessarily just locked yeah. up on his man, that's where I feel like the Patriots are just playing next level. They're able to do right. Like he was playing like a cover two corner, sure, who had help over the top, but he was just you know, solo on the outside guy. Yeah. And the that's fact what that, I think makes it tough. The fact that it was Le'Veon Bell running outside helps that because you don't have to treat him the same way as you have to treat like a legitimate wide receiver. But I'm saying it wasn't his man. I'm saying it was. No, he, no. But the point is to pick on an overthrow here. Yeah. But this guy's only doing that because he's watching the quarterback because he knows it's a running back out here. And I don't really yeah, yeah, need I to know. worry too much about him running it. by me. You're not afraid of Le'Veon Bell? No. Well, there's another play. Why'd they spend so much money for him? I don't know. It was another play where they, they like did that um, double A gap look. You know, they stacked the linebackers in the middle. Actually, yeah. it might have been the B gaps they were stacked in, but whatever. They, both linebackers were showing pressure. And the idea is they basically just read the, the, the they, they make you wrong, right? So whatever your protection is, doesn't matter. This idea of, ah, uh, they're screwing up. Sam Darnold doesn't know his protections. Like he does. He called a protection, but whatever they do, the, the other guy is going to come, right? right. That's either guy is able to come on this particular play. And if you slide left, the guy on the right side comes. If you slide right, the other guy comes, right? And, the, and whichever one isn't coming drops out and tries to fill the hole. Now, they did this. And, like, Darnold basically just like, oh, crap, the extra guy's coming. Panic. Die. Right? But there was... Die uh, would have been sacked. <laughs> Interception is... Uh, there was a quick out route that was open the whole way. On the other side, if they just ran a slant, that guy's playing off coverage. He's seven yards off. The slant is wide open as well. Like, there are plays to defeat yeah. these. You just have to actually have them built in. You can't just go, right. well, we're just going to run the regular pass patterns. Well, then Greg, Greg Williams tried to do it to Brady, and yeah. Brady had James White run into the flat, and all he did, he actually had a blown block up here, and Brady just kind of rolled right, hit James White in the flat, and picked up 20 or whatever it was because it's like we have answers to it, but we also, like, you know, know where they are. Yeah. I mean, just at the NFL level, there should be this automatic built-in hot route thing, right? I remember I back when I played wide receiver, I got shouted at once by a teammate for not adjusting a route against a blitz. It's like, that isn't in our offense. Like, we didn't even have that. Yeah, yeah. I, you were shouting at me for doing something that literally isn't even the playbook. Um, but it's, like, it should be in NFL playbooks. Like, th this is a completely different level. I don't know if you know that or not, but there's a step up in competition between the Ike and the NFL. Right, and I, I believe they should be able to, ha to handle that. It's a little more complicated, a little bit more playbook. Yeah. Uh, so New England has been outstanding, but you know our guy George also tweeted yesterday about the number of drops and overthrows that have happened in the secondary. They've had more than any team by a wide margin. Yeah, and you know some of the overthrows because of tight coverage, but then you have like Sam Darnold had a couple open passes. Mm -hmm. He made a couple of them. They were dropped. Then when he had you know like a cover two shot, he just just so flustered, misses it by a mile. So it's not like there aren't open throws against this New England defense. It's just right now, it's this perfect storm of they're playing really well. Most passes are contested. And if they do give up an open pass, the quarterback's so flustered or the receivers drop it. So now it's like, all right, you're giving up four points a game. The other thing that's at play here is that all the way through this season, one of the problems in Cleveland's offense has been the wide receivers in Mayfield not really being on the same page. Oh, absolutely. And, like this requires everybody to be on the same page because you're making adjustments against what this is, what, what is coming at you. And if like, if only one of the guys making the adjustment, bad things happen. They also need to get, I don't, I'm not just saying this because he's my guy, but they need to get Higgins back on the field because the one guy that Mayfield actually does have a connection with in terms of both of them understanding where the guy's going to be is Higgins. So if you ever needed him, it's now 
Like, if you had to bet your money, if you had to bet your house on one of the Cleveland Browns receivers being where Baker Mayfield wants to throw the ball, it would be Higgins, yeah. right? OBJ and Mayfield don't appear to be on the same page. Um, uh, the other slot receiver, or yeah. Landry? Yeah, yeah. Landry tends to freelance a little bit with his routes and, you know, may not be exactly where he needed to be at the right time. And then uh, Callaway, just who the hell knows where he's going to be at any given period. So they really need Higgins to be out there because he's the most reliable, consistent route runner who's going to be in the right place. Come on, Bruce. You come and call from Bruce. Does he know that we're live right now? Bruce is Skyping you. He's not watching this right now. I don't know. He should be. Bruce, come on, man. We're live on YouTube. Don't call me. He's probably got some QB questions or something, you know. Yeah, so that'll be... It's going to be a tough week for Baker and the passing offense to get back on track. Uh, I will say, at some point, New England's defense has to give up a little bit more than they have, right? Yeah. That has to happen. Yes. Um, but they are playing... You know, Belichick is essentially... The defensive coordinator now, we yeah. believe, right? Gerard Mayo's taken a big role there. There is this just different vibe about them, though, where they seem so confident. They're doing so much. They're just doing like what you just said, the double A gap pressure where they're actually feeding, working off of each other. So they're doing stuff above and beyond the playbook, whether it's pre-snap stuff, whether it's post-snap reads, mixing up coverages. I, I don't know if I've ever seen a unit from front to linebackers to secondary just in tune and playing as well as they are right now and i just i wonder how much of that is it just because belichick has to do more or is it more hands-on there or do they just happen to you know they've got a bunch of guys that have been in the system and they're all you know able to to do more things now than they have in recent years yeah i mean it's not like it was a bad defense to begin with um it's no they, just were, taken they were still notable, very good last yeah, it's year. just taken a notable step forward the only thing that might um help Cleveland is I so they've been able to beat good defenses before or at least have success against good defenses with this offense even though Baker Mayfield is not playing well um and I actually think they're better equipped to go up against a good secondary and a bad pass rush than they would be the reverse I'm not saying the Patriots have a bad pass rush but it's not it's not to the point where it's going to completely wreck that offensive line every single play which is their issue um I think like there's a there's the chance that Baker Mayfield in the passing game can actually survive if the Patriots aren't able to get enough pressure up front. Yeah, of course, there's a chance they won't. They'll throw five picks, but there's a chance that could happen yeah. as well. One of those two things will happen. So on the other side, New England trades for Mohamed Sanu. Josh Gordon placed on IR, even though he thinks he's essentially getting ready to play. So they're going to release him soon. So Josh Gordon era uh, pretty much over in New England. That's a bit of a surprise. The trade for Sanu is not. Um, and even if they kept Josh Gordon, it, it wouldn't be, you know, that big of a surprise to have all of them on the field at the same time. The Patriots have been looking for uh, more consistent receiving weapons. So, you know, there's still a lot of question marks as far as who Brady's throwing to. The tight end position has been pretty much non-existent. Ben Watson had a couple catches in his return the other night. But I think for New England, that's one of the stories of the season here is, figuring out that passing attack because even though you're supposed to run the ball in December and January, like it's going to come down to the passing attack this year. Yeah. Again. And you know, they, it's not so much how good the players are. I think it's just whether it's whether Brady trusts them, right. Whether he's actually prepared to throw the ball that, the, to those guys. That's what they need to find is the receivers that he actually right. trusts enough to throw, throw at Jacoby Myers has done a good job. Uh, you know, Julian Edelman still out there with his rare drops leading the league. <laughs> 
Um, no, he's still he's still really good. I mean, obviously, the, the New England offense is at their best when he's got four or five different options. Read the coverage, find the open man, trust everybody. It's just been a little bit off. You could tell there was a little bit of frustration there on Monday night as they tried to get going with the passing attack, which wasn't very good. Nikhil Harry still potentially to come back. Right. Um, and who the hell knows what he looks like in this offense because he was a strange prospect coming out. Right. Yeah, because he, he's probably not going to create a ton of separation, but I think if yeah. he ends up becoming the, you know, he's the tight window back shoulder guy, maybe a red zone threat. Philip Dorsett's a nice complimentary piece. We saw the deep touchdown that he had the other day. I mean, he he's good for two, three, four catches you know, often down the field in a given game. And I think, you know, that's what he can do once you rely on him more. Uh, it's a bit of an issue. So the passing attack against Cleveland's defense, and I think the Patriots will have a big plan for miles Garrett. They always chip and, and do a lot, put their backs up at the line of scrimmage. They're going to protect Marshall Newhouse yeah, and Marcus Cannon to. as much as possible. So those are the, the things to watch for in that game. I believe we're all taking new England here. I would assume so. Fair assumption, new England across the board. All right, let's get through some of the other games. Arizona Cardinals at the new Orleans saints. Drew Brees back. So he says, yes, I think it's real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's so I think like I he said, had, the dude was doing like, you know, thumb crunches and know, stuff. But he, he admitted he's not going to be a, he's not 100 percent. So this is the thing, right? This is the interesting thing to watch. It's OK. Breeze is back. Unlike any of these other sort of situations, uh, he's the one that unquestionably goes right back into the starting lineup, even though some people suggest that's a conversation. It really isn't. No. Um, Breeze goes right back in. But Teddy Bridgewater is playing really well. Maybe the best of any of these sort of backup starting quarterbacks. Um, and who knows what Breeze is like right now. I, so I think so they have a bye after this week. Right. Which is why I just, when they said, oh, it'll be three to five weeks or whatever that initial timetable was, I was like, all right. Yeah, after the bye. After, week, after the bye made sense. But this is kind of interesting, right? Because this might be the most obvious one to say, hey, take another week. Because oh, yeah. Teddy's playing well. We don't need you back right now. I'm more to the point. We don't actually know what you're going to be like right now because, you know, you're not 100 percent. You're still dealing with it. Right. Plus, plus you're old. So right. take the you know, two weeks. Take a bit of take a bit of time. See you in November. Right. But if he if, like, if he comes back, he's like, no, I'm ready. <laughs> it's going to be pretty hard to tell him. No, sorry. It is tough to say no. You just, you know, take it. Take a chill pill. Teddy's got it for a week. I, that, that's an interesting thing. So it's basically. You could end up in a spot where Breeze basically says, I'm ready, I'm good to go, comes back, actually doesn't have a good game at all. I don't think even if that happens, I don't think it'll be enough to make them lose the game, but it would suddenly be a rough spot because now anybody that thought it might have been a slight conversation before is like, wow, Teddy should be starting now. Look, Breeze is wrecked. I think Breeze is excited to say, okay, I want this dome. I need it. I need this dome game. I got the Falcons in a couple weeks. You know, I'm in the dome for five out of my next six. Like, let's get back to it. He's itching to get back. Oh, I'm sure he is. Um, It's just an interesting thing because they I would say they're probably best off not putting him back out there this week. But if he wants to come back, I don't see how they can say no. I'm curious how gun shy you might become when you're throwing the ball. I think every quarterback's had an instance where they throw all of us. We've all had this. Every quarterback has had some kind of instance where they throw the ball, hit their hand on a helmet. But very rarely is it a full break. Right, you kind of hit your hand, you tape it up. It lasts a week, and you move on. Uh, so I hear. <laughs> I am. I'm curious to see how he handles. You know, a muddied pocket. Does he take fewer risks? Does he not try to throw? It's the Aaron Donald thing was a freak, yeah. freak injury. It's not like he decided to throw under pressure. He threw and 
Donald put his hand up or whatever. Um, does he slide out of the pocket a little bit more? I'm curious, at least initially, if this affects his playing style at all. I don't really have any idea, not being a former former quarterback, but this feels like one that I don't think they even think about once it's healed. Yeah. Like I can, could be the case. I can really understand how you would think about your knee, you know, the back of your mind if you wreck that once. But I think once you, you know, once a thumb heals up, it's healed and you just carry on muscle memory. Really good matchups on uh, when Arizona's on defense, New Orleans on offense. Chandler Jones has a 90 pass rush grade. This year, nine sacks by our numbers, 32 total pressures. Terrell Suggs has been solid. A couple inflated games in there, but 78.7 pass rush grade is solid there. Against, as we always mention every week, Teron Armstead and Ryan Ramchek, the best tackle duo in the NFL. So that'll be a good one to watch. I said that last week, and you were like, yeah, what about the Dallas two? No. And then you, you just ride right you in You asked there for other it. options. I was like, I couldn't think of a better one off the top of my head. And you're like, oh, and what I about said, the Dallas, Dallas is in the is in And the then mix. you just ride right in there like, well, they're the best tackle duo in the NFL. As if that never even happened. Well, yeah, I've changed my opinion since last week. Because hmm. uh, Tyron Smith got beat. <laughs> so there you go. Okay. Tyron Smith, we've been making um, injury excuses for him for the last four years. More than that. It's like at some point, you're just not a 90 overall player. You're like a, a mid-80s guy. That's what you are. Oh, but the traits. Yeah. And then Kyler Murray against the Saints defense. Yeah. Kyler didn't have a great week last week. Really it did. was in the rain. Yes. Doesn't help. Plus, he's, got, he's all small and stuff. He's too small. He's got to have small hands, right? What was his measurement? It wasn't ridiculous. It wasn't like Russell Wilson type of good big hand size. Right. But I think that's was, what I mean. So he must have small hands. I think he's, he's got bigger hands human. than Jared Goff, though. Well, that's not hard. Yeah. Not that I have, but poor little. Most people do. You have little Jared hands. Well, look, you have freaky hands that are like. Your hands are about Brandon Allen size. He was under nine. Dude, my hands aren't even Brandon Allen. You're not size. even eight. No, mine are small. See, we've actually got both ends of the spectrum, right? You have the forest. Your hands are larger than the largest hands they've ever measured at the combine, and I would bet money that Can my I hands. Can I get the official measurement at the combine this year? How do they go and do like this? Yeah, yeah, that. Uh, so you, yours are larger than the largest measurement they've ever measured at the combine. I would bet money that mine are smaller than the smaller measurement they've had. They're the smallest measurement they've ever had at the combine so between the two of us we span either end of that spectrum yeah. i would suggest that that uh your kyler is closer to me than you yeah i would i would think so but that shouldn't affect him in the dome in new orleans who we're all taking whether it's drew Brees or teddy bridgewater correct yes either way they win the game all right seattle seahawks at the atlanta falcons speaking of domes matt ryan ankle injury banged up i heard your buddy matt miller was saying he's faking it or something like that did he suggest that? Why would he be faking it? I don't know. I don't trust Matt's opinion if that's uh, something he really said. This is all like secondhand Twitter information. <laughs> I saw somebody call him out about it or whatever. So I didn't check my sources on this or anything. But if we, I don't need to check sources because I'm not really a reporter. Uh -huh. okay. So why, why would he be faking an ankle injury? I have no idea. Like what's, what, what's, what's the end game? Just not playing in this game? Just to like sit out the rest of uh, last week's game against the Rams and then... Just to chill? I have no idea. Anyway, I don't expect any of that to be true. Um, let's start. In the, well, it's Matt Ryan or Matt Schaub. Oh, God. Schaubie looked good. Look, he you wrote him off after two Hall of Fame game passes. He looked good for like six snaps. You wrote him off out of after two Hall of Fame game passes. Yeah. Well, no, I wrote him off after like several years of not playing and looking like crap the last time he did play. 
the worst graded pass we've ever given back in 2013. Yeah. This pass was so ridiculous. We had to change the scale just to fit in the awful that it was. A walk-off pick six against Richard. Yeah, Chairman. like he had, you know, the way, you remember the, the beast quake, right? Marshawn Lynch breaks like 152 tackles, runs the length of the field. And it's like that actually breaks the scale. That is greater than a 2.5 or a 2, sorry, run. We need yeah. to add a 2.5. We need to get him extra credit for that. Schaub did exactly the same thing on the other end of the scale. It's like that is worse than the worst thing we have ever budgeted for. We need to give him more negative than that. Yeah, it was bad. And that was when he was like in his prime. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say that whatever it was last week, like eight snaps hasn't changed that. Well, that was 2013. Things have changed since then. Yeah, he's gotten older. Anyway, Atlanta's big issues are on the defense. Well, offensive line and then the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. And... You know, defensively against the Seahawks and the way Russell Wilson's been playing this year, this could get ugly. It could. It was ugly last week. Yes. I mean, every week, seemingly with the Falcons, it's ugly. This is like, uh, you know, when your operating system updates, you know, whether it's Mac, Windows, whatever it is, your system updates. And it's like, ah, here's the fancy new features, all the things that your thing can do now. Look at what we added. Well, this is like, that's the Seahawks, right? They have all the added new features that work. The Falcons are still running whatever like the base thing was out of the box with all the updates in the queue in the bottom left, as we said. So this is like the updated version versus the original. All the new and shiny bits that actually function against this thing that's just busted and not We're really working the, anymore. Talking about the defense. Yeah. But Dan Quinn, do you say Dan Quinn's defense still stuck in 2014? Yeah. His is still like the out of the box default. You know, there are many firmware updates waiting. And they haven't installed any of them. The Seahawks have installed them, and now they've got some, you know, fancy new features. Metaphorical genius remaining. So that's what I'm looking Continue. for. So the thing is, like, you just—they're just not communicating. They just don't know who to cover. <laughs> that seems like a problem. It's not even that the the defense is that you know updated since 2014 in Seattle. They just know how to. And they're not that great defensively in Seattle, but they do a much better job than Atlanta just passing off crossers and knowing who's covering whom and staying somewhat in the vicinity of the guy that's covering and you know, and not missing a tackle by five miles. What's impressive is that the Falcons actually have some good players still in that defense. Like if you took out the individual talent from that, the system itself would be awful. Like somehow they're patching up some of this with like, you know, good individual performances. Like guys like Deion Jones and Grady Jarrett are still really good. But everything around them is just painful. Yeah, man. Uh, We talked about them a little bit on Monday. I think offensively, it feels like the offense just isn't in sync with the new bottom third of the league pass blocking offensive line. And the defense has the third worst coverage grade in the NFL. Dolphins, Raiders, Falcons are at the bottom end right now. And this started last year with the Falcons. Once Deion Jones went down, has continued into this year. I think if Dan Quinn does get fired it is the most coveted job though because you've you've got a you've got a good quarterback in place even though you think he's declining with every other QB you got a quarterback in place you have talent and i think you have enough talent to just kind of shake it up a little bit and you're right back in the playoff race or maybe i'm just still always a believer in the falcons for some reason and um going to get fooled but they there's just a good nucleus especially on offense to build around yeah, and you know the the guys that they drafted on the offensive line may come good. 
it's just we we talked at the time it was unlikely to be an immediate fix right and that's the problem is everyone treats draft picks as like an immediate solution they go we addressed our our line got better we drafted two rookies to start like two rookies to start is a terrible thing that's not good no Um, that is well not not if you're just predicting who the best lines are going to be for this year right future it may be a long-term fix but the chances of you getting better this year are not high because rookies rarely come in and dominate yeah. certainly two of them don't using, using Ramchek as the example too we said he's right up there with joe thomas as far as hitting the ground running and maintaining so far yeah. through two plus years what some of the best we've seen you have a guy like larry mitunsel that's you know he's playing well this year in year four right took a while to crank up play some players do it you know Ramchek did it um quentin nelson did it and he, even it, yeah. he took like six weeks to really get his footing right. before he started dominating but like it's possible but banking on it not once but twice in the same year is kind of silly and that's yeah. basically been proven out it doesn't mean that they're going to be bad because they struggled early most offensive linemen struggle early but that's your problem right now um pete carroll we talked about some of his conservatism yeah. on, you know as far as kicking field goals and you know, he kind of doubled down on it and said, well, the other option was to punt it. <laughs> yeah. And he was just like, that's just who we are. We're not changing. So for a guy that is... Somebody complained at me. He was like, you know, after you said that, you're assuming a lot about Pete Carroll there. It's like, true, I am. Um, but then he comes out and basically says that. It's like, all right, turns out I was right. He basically has no earthly conception of the numbers actually at play there. He's just, this is what we do. We, he, I mean... It's hard to disagree too much on the basis that the guy is consistently successful being like pure old school gut feel, you know, you know what this, let me, let me make my own little analogy. Okay. Slash metaphor. Be careful now. Let me see what I can do. Uh Okay. Back when I was a professional athlete, this is not an analogy as much as just, we have to talk about my career. Yeah. So back when I was a professional athlete, right. You know, you go, you work out, you work in the off season with your trainers and everything. Right. And I was always of the mind as a lot of players are like, what's the best possible thing that I can do to maximize my career. So I wanted to have the best trainers, the best nutrition, the best everything. Right. So I found a really good trainer, a guy that used to train NFL players and all that stuff. And that's who I worked with in the off season. I felt strongly about his programs, my, my off season program and what I did and helped me get better quite a bit. Right. Then when you get in, you're with the team, you have to develop a program for say 200 guys, Right. So if I'm playing for the Giants, they're not necessarily looking for the best possible program to maximize everybody's ability. They're looking for the program that's like just not going to get anybody hurt out of the 200. So they've got this very basic workout program that for me, who has a probably a better program, I'm like, I'm not going to get a whole lot out of it. But it's a decision that they have to make just to just kind of like, you know, keep everybody healthy, not piss anybody off and all that stuff. That's what Pete Carroll kind of feels like. He's instilling this culture. He's doing what he feels is best. He's like, if we just maintain this culture all the time of run the ball and safe and punt and kick and, you know, rely on Russ only when we need to, it'll kind of like just get them to this baseline of it's going to get you this baseline of eight, nine or 10 wins. Like it's just going to get you there, but he's not playing to get you 12. He's not playing to get to 13. He's not playing to maximize everything that he has. He's, he just believes that if he does this baseline, rely on Russ when we need to and build all this other stuff that's less relevant. That's my analogy. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd say it was a great one. No, no, it wasn't. I think it is, though. I mean, it, mm, yeah, it functioned. It's not 
But that's what Carol, the artistry to is, it. Is that not is that not, not what he's so doing? I, I think the thing is people it's very easy to be this whole black and white world, you know, great or terrible, nothing, no nuance to anything. It's very easy to be like, well, Pete Carroll said this thing. That's really dumb. Guy's an idiot. Right. Whereas Pete Carroll actually is, he's a really good old school style of coach. Right. Sure. And there's a lot to be said in terms of his instincts for a lot of this stuff is clearly superior to a lot of other coaches yeah. in most areas. But what, but, but then you come up against something where it's like you could do everything you do, your instinct, and then if you just built on top of that with this really simple um, decision-making matrix based off the data that will give you an X percent edge, right? Why? Yeah. But but because he's like, I'm I'm confident in my instincts. I just roll with this the whole way. It's like most of the time it's working out. But then you, there's two or three areas where you just leave meat on the bone because you're not taking advantage of something that actually does have better data than your gut feel. And that's his problem, right? Is he's basically just ignoring these areas of data because he's so good at the other stuff that he assumes it's universal. And it's like, no, our way is the better way of doing things. And in some, there are a lot of sort of black, there are a lot of gray areas in terms of the the kind of battle between analytics and old school gut feel. And For there's, sure. There's a lot of places where it's, you know, if you really want to feel like that, I can't prove the reverse, right? Because there's too many factors at play here. But there's some areas where it's like, this really is just pretty simple and black and white. Just it's a percentage thing. Just play the bigger percentages and over time it will work in your favor. And all you need to do is to be like, all right, I'm going to I'm going to stick with my way of doing things most of the time. And then in these couple of areas, I'm going to lean on the numbers because they know better than I do. So I'm just going to do that. And he doesn't. He instead just goes, yeah, we're going to kick it. And if we don't kick it, we're going to punt it. So we're saying the same thing. Pretty much. Yeah. Anyway, I didn't say with a baseball story, but had to get it in there. The people love it. The people love it. They love hearing about it. It's World Series time. Do yeah. you believe the Nationals are up to nothing? No. We're all taking Seattle yeah. in Atlanta here. Philadelphia Eagles at the Buffalo Bills. I think you've got some numbers. So, yeah, Josh Allen's the grading breakdown is kind of insane. Um, he is the highest graded quarterback on throws that travel under 20 air yards from the line of scrimmage. So anything less deep than 20 air yards, he's the number one graded quarterback in the NFL. Yes. And that's like all, that's all throws up to 20 yards. So behind the line, intermediate, short, everywhere, up to 20 yards. The best grade, not just the best like stat X, Y, Z, like the thing that we champion, the PFF grade, the quantifying every single throw, Josh Allen is number one. And then on anything above 20 yards, he's dead last, the bottom, the worst um, literally the complete opposite of what we expected from yeah, him, skill set right. wise. And then, yeah, so you got this howitzer of an arm who still goes deep more than most quarterbacks. He's, he's dialed it back from last year. Last year, he went deep more than any other quarterback in the NFL by a country mile. This year, he's going deep the sixth most often from, of any quarterback, which is a big step down, but still, you know, he's going deep a reasonable amount and he's terrible at it. Um, you know, there was a play, I think it was last week, where he like, Drops back, winds up, uncorks like a massive, de- like seven yards overthrown. Like he is terrible at that right now. One big time throw on 20 plus yard throws. Right. And he is seven turnover worthy. But throws. he has become really good at everything else. But the short stuff, and it early on, it felt like, yeah, maybe they're just taking too much off of his plate and making it too easy. Not too easy for him, but 
Uh, maybe they're focusing too much on the short stuff, but he has been efficient. Um, 88.1 grade, as you, you mentioned, that's number one uh, in that short area. 81.2 adjusted completion percentage. So he's been pretty efficient there as I'm far accurate. as yeah. yeah, throwing the ball to Cole Beasley and company on the underneath stuff. I still think there's like a hybrid to be had there. He can't be as bad as he's shown on 20 plus, And I don't necessarily expect him to be the best, you know, short area thrower for, you know, the foreseeable future. But, you know, interesting that it's pretty much the opposite of expectation. Right. And it would, I mean, it's the kind of, so yes, you're right in that both those things will probably swing back somewhere, you know, and land in the middle somewhere on that spectrum. But those are the kind of numbers that really should be instructive in terms of what you do as an offense. Like at this point, they should be saying you'd ride it out on the short stuff. You think? I mean, I wouldn't like I wouldn't pivot to you know nothing like a a few year old Patriots offense where all you're doing is horizontal, short, five yard, you know, a thousand paper cut stuff. But I would be saying, hey, instead of being the sixth most aggressive offense in the world in terms of going deep, how about we become the sixteenth and you know let's play the middle of the field a little bit more. Yeah, the part. The part that's not necessarily showing up in the grade as much because, you're, you know, when you're looking at the actual passes, it takes out some of the sacks and some of the other. He still has, as we mentioned on Monday, some of those plays where it's like, here's the the pass where we said Brady just hits the guy in the flat. The one where Darnold's panicking. Allen's, Allen's not throwing the interception necessarily, but he's either taking the sack he shouldn't take or scrambling around and taking hits that he shouldn't take. Those are the types of things he still needs to cut back on that still... Know, aren't showing up as much in that short area grade. So how much do you still want to rely on him to make? How much do you want to rely on him to make 35 or 40 just good decisions in the short game every game versus, you know, stealing some chunk plays with the big arm? So I still think it's a balance issue that they're trying to figure out in Buffalo. Yeah, I mean, the problem right now is he's not stealing any of those big chunk plays. Yeah, terrible. He's been bad down the field. So maybe and he's been very good. We have to say positive things. Very good up to 20 yards. Well, that's what I started off saying. You did. So maybe we just dial back the amount we're asking him to go deep or even if it's all him suggests, hey, Josh, maybe let's not do so much of that. Well, he still needs to know when to check down and know when to come off those first reads as well. That's yeah. still been a work in progress for him. I will say this. He is fun to watch every week. He's yeah. hashtag fun to watch because there's something's going to happen. When Josh Allen is on the field, can Philadelphia's offense get anything going against this good Buffalo defense? Uh, I mean, they need their receivers to catch the ball. That would help. Yeah. Um, in fact, that's, you know, maybe their biggest problem. Buffalo's doing a night. We've, we talk about them every week, but they, they run a simple scheme. They run it really well. They're getting good linebacker play. They're getting good secondary play. The pass rush has been good. Not great. You know, it's just solid. Um, they're just a tough defense to play against. Yeah, Philadelphia's pass protection should be better than it was a week ago where they really struggled against Dallas, um, uncharacteristically so, I mean, particularly Lane Johnson. Lane Johnson, yeah. Um, they should be able to hold up against Buffalo. It's not that Buffalo don't have good players, but I, they don't have anyone that immediately looks, jumps out and says, this guy's going to wreck that offensive line. This is a tough game. Every quarterback's pretty much struggled against the Bills, so this is a tough game for Carson Wentz coming off of his worst game. He had a couple of rough ones against Dallas, rough throws and decisions and um, turnover worthy plays on Sunday night. So yeah, that's, I really want to see the Philadelphia offense here. They feel disjointed. We've talked about this for a few weeks. Something's off there. This might not be the week that they get it back going again. Mm -hmm. All that said, where did we go? I went Buffalo. You did not. Yeah, I'm still, I'm still riding the Philly train. 
the Philly train. Philly train? Okay. The same way I just, it's tough to jump off Atlanta. I just think Philly is more talented than they've, than they've showed. Buffalo, Buffalo let Miami stick around until the very end on Sunday. They're, they're, uh, Buffalo's not as good as their record. Let's just say that. Okay. I, and yeah. Philly's not as bad as their record. I don't know that struggling against Miami necessarily indicates that, but I don't. That's not, that's not the only reason. It's just in general. Sure. When you, when you play so many close games, they played a close game against Cincinnati. If you just look at how many close games they've played, that's tough to sustain, okay. even though they're pulling them off right now. All right. Los Angeles Chargers at the Chicago Bears. Yeah. Ugh. Um. This is like both these teams are tremendously underwhelming right now. Everything about the Bears offense is bad right now. Yeah. Uh, I'm, Trubisky sucks. No, the I'm calling scheme. right here. Trubisky goes full Mariota. And right when you're ready to right when Chicago is just ready to be done with him, he is going to where Chase Dan is warming up on the sideline. He's going to lure them back in. Yeah. Yeah. This is going to be like he's just going to be he's like, man, I got nothing to lose. It's going to be free and easy. There's going to be a 30 yard scramble in here. He's going to be dropping dimes. This is going to be. See, the good Trubisky game this see, week. That's the thing, though. Like the most concerning thing, or the most um, fatalistic part about his demise this year is there haven't even been like flashes of. Oh yeah, maybe. It's like no, it's just been crap from start to finish. Yeah. Um, Last year, at least, did have some of those flashes as much. Right. As we were and saying, then he, he gets injured, and right. we're like trying to put a positive spin on it. It's like oh, maybe the reset would do him good. You know, time out of the the week to week grind and come back refreshed, have a, a hard reboot, and you know, look good again. Nope. Straight back to where he was. So, how yeah. Much, how I, much business jargon can you use to talk about Trubisky maybe getting better? I, it's just Hard depressing. Reboot. I think he's just, I think that was just ugly. And as I said, the biggest problem is that, so it's interesting because now people are starting to turn their wrath on Matt Nagy's offense. It's like Trubisky's not the problem there. The whole offense bad. Like It is because he's trying to make it idiot proof for the idiot quarterback that's not able to play. Like it's not this this offense didn't go from being one of the best schemes in the NFL to being a terrible system because Matt Nagy turned into an idiot in the offseason. Like he is sitting there going, this guy is sinking the unsinkable ship. How do I try and prop this thing back up? And he's trying to do a bunch of things. And unfortunately, it's having the opposite effect to the one he wants it to have. Instead of pulling up the one thing that's dragging the ship down, it's sinking everything. You talking about Kurt Warner talking about it too? Because Kurt, I didn't see Warner talk about so it. He was one of the guys who was like, "Man, this offense is bad," and you know, it's but it's a, it's a lot of people. Like this has become the but narrative this week. A lot of, but but Kurt came back like two days later. He's like, "Okay, I watched the film. It's not as bad as I thought. There are other issues at play here." Yeah, and basically, it's, eh, the quarterback's not playing uh-huh. very well. Um, but this is so. This has become like a narrative, right? It started off and it's like, "Ah, oh, Trubisky sucks," right? Now it's everyone's. Everyone, it's like, so you get this sort of general story, right? And then everyone tries to be woke. And it's like, ah, see, really what the problem is, the offense. Trubisky is now a hope in this scheme. Like, do you not understand that the scheme is being made worse trying to help out Trubisky? It's not that he is being trapped by the idiot scheme. Is it they're trying to make the scheme easier for him to operate and it's not working? If if you're going to blame the scheme now, then you have to give him credit for last year when he was a top five play caller by our numbers, Matt Nagy. I mean, he was, yeah, I as don't, far as I mean, creating open throws and creating valuable plays on easier passes and all that stuff. I think the, the absolute limit to the criticism you can level in, in Matt Nagy's direction right now is that 
the concept of trying to dumb down the system so that the quarterback can succeed in it is not working. Yeah. Right. I don't hate the idea. It wasn't dumbed down last year, though. No, I know. But so, yeah, this is the thing, right? It it was already that's a that's why it's that's why it's a concept that doesn't function. Right. Because fundamentally, it was already a quarterback friendly system. If the quarterback can't get on with the quarterback friendly system, the quarterback is the problem, not the system. So instead, it's like, well, I'm stuck with this guy. We traded like everything to get him. So I have to do something. So he starts trying to tinker with the system, trying to change it. And all you're doing is making a quarterback friendly system, either less quarterback friendly or just fundamentally more inept. And that's why it's not helping anybody. So the worst you can say to Matt Nagy is that, all right, that idea is not going to work. But to an extent, he's basically in a no-win spot anyway, in that you are literally stuck with this quarterback. And if he sucks, there's nothing you can do about it. You're just, you're screwed. All you can do is play your regular offense anyway, and then be, like, then you would have people going, well, Nagy's not changing anything. Idiot. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's a complete no-win situation, and it's all because the quarterback took a massive step back this year and is bad. He took it, yeah. And even last year, we talked about the drop passes. Trubisky only had ten all of last year, and we just said, "Look, if you just make that league average, his numbers come down." Like anybody that has a, a really low drop rate, you just say, "Ah, oh, you know, if he had a couple balls go the other way, it affects the stats too much." You know, that's why that ninety-five passer rating that he had last year wasn't real. This year, he's got eight drops compared to ten all of last year. So there's a lot of things he's missing more throws. He was already missing a lot of throws last year. He's missing more this year. He's not getting the same type of drop rate, not getting the same type of yards after the catch or contested catches down the field. All of the things that went right last year aren't there anymore. Yeah, that would be your scheme issue. Like what feels like scheme is fewer Allen Robinson great plays, fewer Tariq Cohen freebies and the quarterbacks playing worse. Right. And it makes it feel like a really bad situation. I'm not saying that the idea that the scheme is worse this year is incorrect. I'm saying that the root cause of that is still Trubisky. Oh, yeah. You're still you're still saying Matt Nagy has made adjustments that have made the thing worse. But the reason he's made the adjustments is because the quarterback is playing terribly. The other thing that's concerning for the Bears is that the defensive regression that wasn't there at the start of the season. It's like, huh, we spent all offseason basically saying prepare for defensive regression. It's coming because what they did last year was unsustainable. They started the same. They started the season the same way they did last year. It's like, huh, maybe not. It hasn't come. Well, it's come now. The Bears defense is way worse. So now everything is bad in Chicago. They, they, we thought they were going to be they're great. Still good. They're still solid. They're still number nine in our grades. They're up there in the Bills range. Right. But this is, they needed that defense to be the best in the league, basically, for them to and, overcome what they, they have on the other side of the ball. And, and it isn't. Part of the regression is just like, think about how many interceptions, pick sixes, fumble sixes, just Eddie Jackson had last year. Right. How many forced fumbles? And Khalil Max had a bunch of forced fumbles this year, but how many of them he had last year? Those are just the highly volatile plays that are tough to depend on. Just if you cut out some of those, it's like, all right, the Bears can't bank on that year over year. So, And they're going up against the Chargers, who might be every bit as depressing. Man, they're tough to, they're tough to figure out. We keep talking about Hunter Henry, and Keenan Allen doesn't look exactly the same, but he's still out there. Mike Williams, I mean, Rivers should have these good guys to throw to. Plus, they got, you know, MVP Melvin Gordon back. Yeah, he's not running the ball very well. Well, he's not, but also... So I was, I can't remember where I was talking about this before. It's like what he did last year was kind of crazy because by and large, overall running backs are predominantly a product of their environment, right? And the Chargers offensive line has been crappy for years. But last year, Gordon was was still able to get incredible production. And 
one of the reasons he was this underrated player is he'd kind of been grading really well, but never had the production because the offensive line was so bad. Yeah. Last year, somehow he was able to overcome even more of that. And his stats were actually pretty good for the first time in a while. He was as good as Todd Gurley last year. He was probably better. Um, but the point is, in order to do that, given the blocking in front of him, it was unsustainable. It was too good. It was almost certainly impossible to keep going. And all that's happened this year is that it's 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 it stopped. Keep going. It's gone back. It's disappeared. So this is what he should be because their situation is bad. The only downside is that they're really not doing anything particularly creative to help him out. They're just running him up the gut every time. You know how they say blocking and tackling? That's your uh, your fundamentals. Yeah, of football, right? Get good at those things. The Chargers have the third worst pass blocking grade as a team. Not good, Bob. Sixth worst run blocking grade also as a team. Good. And the very worst tackling grade mm. as a team. So that's why when you have the nice flat, flashy fantasy stars, Rivers, Allen, Mike Williams, Hunter Henry in the middle of the field, Austin Eckler out of the backfield, the fundamentals are not good with the Chargers right now. So that is a big part of the story. And somehow we're all taking Chicago. We're all on this bounce back Chicago Bears train. Well, yeah. I just let's stop talking about this game. You didn't it's like depressing. it. The underwhelming bowl per Sam. New York Giants at Detroit Lions. Big snacks. Revenge game. Big snacks. Revenge game. Yes. A lot of revenge. It's revenge week. It is. Yeah, there's a lot of revenge games. Who else has revenge? That's it. Gary and Conley revenge game. Don't oh, that's coming that. up. Yeah, I knew yeah. I saw someone. Uh, yeah. um, Danny Dimes versus hardcore man coverage. That's what we get to see here. Ryan Fitzpatrick plays in a revenge game every time he plays. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Him and uh, if we could get Josh McCown starting again. He really does. Right. He really does. Um, so is Danny Dimes more or less prone to throw the ball straight to a defender if they're playing predominantly man coverage? He was doing it to Quentin Dunbar and man, so. Mm-hmm. So more? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. You don't know what you're going to get from big Daniel Jones. Four big time throws, three turnover worthy the other day. I mean, it's just. Led the league in both. Yeah. At least tied with the league lead in both. Yeah. We called him, so on the podcast last time, we called him Eli Manning 2.0. And the only thing we forgot about that, or at least didn't mention, is was the athleticism. He does add that component. Right. So he's, they've replaced Eli Manning with Eli Manning, who's been doing P90X for a while. <laughs> That's what they've done. P90X Eli Manning. P90X Eli. That's it, huh? Yeah. All right. Anything else you're expecting to see in this game? No, that's it. Just how many times Danny Dimes throws the ball to Detroit Lions players against yeah. their man coverage. Matthew Stafford's been uh, must-watch TV this year, I think, as far as fun. you know him chucking the ball down the field. He's got the second most highest percentage of uncatchable passes, 10 yards, 10 plus yards down the field, but he's also dropping a bunch in there. So he's been uh, a better version of P90X Daniel Jones. That version of P90X that? Daniel, Six, Jones. Daniel Jones with a 60. I, I love all the stats. So if you just go, I'm still on this filter, 1 to 19 yard throws, right? Daniel Jones grade 67.5. Eli Manning 66.9. <laughs> so it, was, it was interesting. I looked at something else. I it was, And it's not even like a related enough category for it to make sense. I was looking at um, the last two seasons Inside the pocket, straight dropbacks, no like rollouts or scrambles or anything like that. Um, looking for something completely else, right? And you scroll all the way down at like 34 and 35 was Danny Dimes and Eli oh, back to back. It. They're just 
right next to each they other. They genuinely are the same human being. Only one of them went on a P90X course. We're going to see that a lot with Tannehill and Mariota. Probably, yeah. Tannehill, you do that when they both played over the last couple of years. They, they end up right next to each other on a bunch of lists. Yeah. Um, Detroit, all went Detroit. We're all taking Detroit here. Yep. And now we are going quicker. Right, P90X, Danny. All right. Tampa Bay Bucks at the Tennessee Titans. We finally get to see Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, part two. Hmm. Only now Tannehill's starting. Oh, no. Yeah. I'm so sad. How mm. how crazy is it they played each other in their first ever games? Get drafted one and two in the 2015 draft. They kick off the 2015 season against each other. And that was more classic PFF. Like, hold your horses, right? Because Mariota, I mean, he he was getting fitted. Yeah. The gold jacket. He threw four touchdowns. I think three were just easy ones in the flat. I'm more fascinated by the idea that both, like, it looks like neither of these guys going to work out. Yeah. Long term. I don't. So Jameis still has that value add. I know, obviously, component. you think Jameis is going to be MVP one day, but. So even just, I'm looking through all of some of our war numbers and stuff like that. Like, even that has him <laughs> way higher than you'd expect because he just adds so much value. Uh-huh. He adds because he, he can make those those plays down the field. Mariota, uh, not as much. And Winston, you know, generally can avoid sacks. It's just those those turnover worthy plays, which should disappear at some point in his life for a for a season. Of course, they should. Why wouldn't they? Um, yeah. How's the uh, like how's good. the value add working out for them so far this year? Oh, it's not great. I mean, yeah. Uh huh. Well, because there's some value subtract in there too. <laughs> That's quite a lot. There's a lot of value subtract. add, but there's a lot of value subtract. But the value add is always there. I really wish we had the same like Brandon Graham bet, but with Jameis every year, I could just cash in. I wouldn't bet it because I don't know. With Graham, it's like, oh, we had 10 sacks. He'd be able to duplicate that. You know, that's easy with with, with Winston. It might be 2027. Yeah. I know. You're just betting that one year it's going to happen. Yeah. And it it isn't. Like Carson Palmer did it in year 11. Yeah. Of his career. Uh Uh-huh. He did. We're not even halfway there. No, it's true. Jameis yet. Yeah. Yeah. It's never happening. Um, so two things that are interesting. Does Jeffrey Simmons dominate the same way he dominated last week? And he was fantastic. Because he was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, we talked about what a Christmas present that would be for this defense if they get him all the way through and he plays like that. Yeah, for sure. Huge. Um, and two, what does Tannehill look like after a week? Like, you know, he comes in one week, he basically justifies the decision to make the switch. He does make some of those throws and Mariota just hasn't been making. And you're like, all right, he was still kind of bad in pre- under the f- uh, under pressure, but in the clean pocket without, you know, when left to his own devices, he played well. And that's what Mariota wasn't even doing. Um, this is the Titans, man. There's That's the problem. Once you right? think, once you're feeling pretty good. So it's like he did all the things no. you needed him to do, but ultimately he's still Ryan Tannehill. So next week we just have him implode. I'm taking Tennessee, which definitely means this is a Tampa Bay on the road win. We're almost all taking Tennessee. Only Neil has gone with the Bucs. So the point I was making on Mariota's debut, too, he had four touchdowns, a mediocre PFF grade. Jameis had a poor PFF grade, and people were already making declarations. It was it was less about Mariota's better than Winston. It was more about, man, Marcus is awesome. Right? He's got mobility. He's got this. He's like the new age of the NFL. And, man, just like hold your horses. And, um... The biggest concern I think about when you compare those two guys, I think Jameis has been consistently the same guy from <laughs> yes. day one. I mean, he's just been 
The same guy. Yes. You just know what you're getting. Which is why we're never going to see MVP, Jameis. Whereas Mariota would have like these little peaks. He's been all over the place. And then just, and it's just, there was never, like, I'm saying the same thing, but in different ways. Like, neither guy has just taken the next step. But Jameis has has been very consistent in his inconsistency. Yes. He's one of those players that you're like, you, you shoot... People get attracted to the upside, and it's like the you thing, right? Not right. that I'm calling you a moron or anything, but you get a lot of people that are morons that look at this guy and go, well, as soon as he stops making all the bad plays, suddenly everything that's left is great. Like, yeah, but that, that, that won't ever happen because that's what he is all the time. And every time you watch him play, that's him. Um, whereas Mariota has just been all over the place. Sometimes he's been great. It's just never lasted long. Sometimes he's been terrible. He's been conservative. He's been a great, like everything. He's been all over the map. And I, he's the one that I'm most surprised by that just did not at least become a consistently solid, good player based off what he was when he came out. Yeah. I mean, when sometimes you go back to like the strengths and weaknesses and you try to figure out, okay, some like Baker's one weakness that we talked about was pocket presence. And it's like, oh, it's only one weakness. And now it's like, oh, well, it's now everything it's, it's yeah. showing up all the time now. And it's also affecting his accuracy, which, which is supposed to be a strength. With Mariota, it was like, does a lot of things well. Intermediate thrower is good. He's, he can run the ball, sure. One red flag was there's no red flags. That, that's what the scout said. My red flag was he still had a high percentage of negatives his last year. He just like it would miss easy throws. Like, oh, you just overthrew a flat. Oh, you just yeah. overthrew this uh, this quick out or whatever. But it didn't feel egregious. It's like, oh, you just miss a, miss a throw right. every now and again. And it's also, it's probably a bigger problem. It's like what we were saying with Baker a while ago where um, you can look at just the difficult throws but what you can't do is adjust for what for the effect of increasing the percentage of difficult throws has. Sure. Right? Yeah. So you can look at just the throws he has to make when he's in a rough spot, but you have no idea what will happen if you increase that percentage by five. Like when you times that by five, what does that do to his ability to make those throws? You've no idea. So yeah. with Mariota, it's like, well, you missed a relatively high percentage of these plays. But it's, you know, in the Pac-12 where they didn't really play defense. And so, well, what happens now when all of these throws are suddenly a lot more difficult? Now you miss a lot more. They had a lot of open throws. They were, there was the Chip Kelly offense that created a whole bunch of uh, easier throws and easy and and explosive plays. The same thing you did in the NFL. And because they were so wide open, it buys you a lot of margin for error. So ones that you're not missing, but are not where they should be. Yeah. Now, when there's a guy in close coverage, that's a miss because he's in on the ball. I loved how much he went through progressions, hit that backside post, backside dig. That was like what he did consistently. Mm-hmm. But even at the time, we're like, he's doing this well. How much is it the scheme allowing for that? How much is it his skill set? He hasn't really carried that to the NFL nearly as much as well. So when I was looking, so yeah, everyone went Tennessee except Neil, who went with the Bucks. I might stand with Neil. I was looking through these games this week this is really not a nice slate of games it's not there's a lot of games where i just was like yeah cincinnati Bengals at the los angeles rams speaking of yeah so the only thing to watch in this game is the Bengals presumably trying to place every one of their players into the shop window some way shape or form so who has a good game for cincinnati so they can get the hell out of there especially with the rams somewhere else the rams love shiny objects right Right. now so anyone anyone that shows up and has a good game this week could be traded by next week. Trade for Geno Atkins. Put him next to Don, uh, Donald. Geno. I mean, AJ Green's not going to be back, but, you know, Tyler Boyd, Tyler Eifert. We just anybody that could possibly get traded. Tyler needs Boyd's to have no, nobody needs to have the game of their life so they can get the hell out of Dodge and not have to suffer through this anymore. And obviously, I want to see our highest graded defensive player once again, Aaron Donald, 
against the Bengals O-line. Did you say Donald bounce back? Oh, Darnold bounce back. I'm looking at the wrong game. Darnold bounce back. It's like, what is, what is he bouncing back from? A 92 grade yeah. instead of a 94 grade. Um, Everyone with the Rams. Everybody with the Rams. conclusion. New York Jets at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, this is your Darnold bounce back. This is what I said. Darnold bounce. It should say a question mark. Oh, okay. Because we, you know, people think, I don't know. When you when you look back at quarterbacks and you look at, say, David Carr, not Derek, David. David Carr. And it's like, oh, well, he had this terrible offensive line and it screwed him up for life. And people say the same thing about Blaine Gabbert. Like, oh, man, he was, I mean, you talk about seeing ghosts, like he lived with ghosts in the pocket, Blaine <laughs> Gabbert. I mean, he was just, he was cuddling ghosts. That, that's how he lived. Cuddling ghosts. Yes, that's how he lived. And people look back and they're like, well, if you have that bad first or second year, you just can't come back from it. When I think like the analytical point of view would just be like, well, that's just who you are. Like, let's not look for specific reasons why you're bad. The easy explanation is you're just not good. That's it. Right. So is Derek Carr just not good? David Carr just not good. Who And he happened to be in a bad situation. Or did it truly affect him going forward? So my question about Sam Darnold, is this one of those things that's like he's exposed? He's, you know, he's he is going to actually have this affect him because like I said, he was not only seeing ghosts early, but like when he had a clean pocket and throwing cover two shots, he's missing them by a mile. Like, is this going to mentally affect him going forward or is it just more information about his skill set as a whole? And our opinion of him just has to go down a lot. Yeah. Or to put another way or to put the way that I texted it to you during the game. What if Sam Darnold was just asked the whole time? Oh yeah. Yeah. You said that on a lot more succinctly. Yeah. Huh. I mean, that's, that's the real question mark, right? It's yeah. We think of Sam Darnold as this incredibly talented, prodigious player that's going to take a step forward, and we've seen glimpses of him playing really well. We've also seen a lot of play where he's been terrible. Like, yeah. not, just, not just in the NFL, in college as well. Like he has a lot of bad tape in, so, on his resume. So this is where – so him coming out, too, is actually similar to the way I view Jameis. Okay, so we only had one year of Jameis, 2014. He was good, not great. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us were like, man, he's the lock number one pick. He's only pretty, he's good, not great here. But I went back, graded his 2013. It was his retro freshman season. It was incredible, absolutely incredible. It was one of the best quarterback seasons I've ever seen in college. And he was only a redshirt freshman. And when I look at Sam Darnold's, and so my point is, I kind of like, I said, let's not completely weigh the last season before he goes to the NFL. Like both seasons matter. And that other, that peak season was incredible. And that's probably still why I'm sitting here five years later mm-hmm. saying, all right, it's going to happen. I've seen peak seasons from Jameis, even though it was 2013. So Darnold's peak season was his redshirt freshman year. And he was, it was one of those, like he's doing things that redshirt freshmen shouldn't do. He's thrown with anticipation. He looked like a young Philip Rivers as a redshirt freshman. And then his redshirt sophomore year, his draft year, it was one of those, remember we said, if you take out three games, he's right. the number three quarterback in the NFL. It's like Baker, I mean, in college. It's Baker, Rudolph, yeah. and Don. It was like a four-game stretch where he was literally the worst quarterback in college football. Horrendous. Great. Yes. And then if you took those, took those away, he was right back at the other end. So now is that just who he is? He go, he's, a str- he's streaky. Entirely possible. So last year, he, had, he was one of the lowest-graded quarterbacks, gets hurt, comes back. He was had one of the highest grades down the stretch. Is he streaky? Is it? Is there no such thing as streaky? And it's just, here's this guy with generally volatile play, and you don't know when it's going to show up. It could show up in four games in a row. It could show up, you know, every fourth game. You don't know, but it's going to show up. It could show up within a game. Um, again, comparing to Jameis, 
Jameis is inconsistent, but he's consistently inconsistent. Like every single week, there are highs and lows, right? So I have a lot of questions. Yeah. About Sammy. Same. I mean, I, I think there's I think that is the biggest question is what if he just sucked the whole way? Uh, you're every night again, you're gonna get those games where it's like, oh look, there it is. There it is. He can be great. And then nah, it's gonna disappear again. Um, I'm curious about the quarterback situation on the other side because Foles is back practicing. Yeah. He is now a specter on the horizon for Gardner Minshew. So Minshew has to play his ass off. Otherwise, he's back to the bench. I saw some concerns. I had some concerns with Minshew against Cincinnati. He looked like a guy. We talk about like the one weakness we've been pulling out, kind of getting extrapolated out. The one weakness we said was like, man, he's not turning it over when he throws the ball, but he's holding the ball too long in the pocket and all that stuff. He looks like he's too quick to run. That's what he looked like against Cincinnati. He looked like he's getting back there, coming off his first read, scrambling too much. Sometimes he'd scramble to throw and make a play. He looks like he's not trusting his ability to read the field. And that was more one game. So is that teams adjusting to him a little bit, giving him different looks? And we've seen like the Saints threw some crazy looks at him a couple weeks ago, did a really nice job confusing him a bit. And he looks a little antsy in the pocket. I want to see how he how he handles that, especially, you know, going up against Greg Williams might see some funky stuff. I'm not interested in any negativity surrounding Gardner Minshew. Oh, I'm sorry. I only want positivity. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. I only want positivity. Go buy a Minshew Minshew shirt. We're all taking Jacksonville. I mean, we're talking about the Jets who looked like they were ready. Like the Jets were like the favorite in the NFC a couple weeks ago. They beat the Cowboys. Mm. The Jets were the the NFC favorites. How absurd a sequence is that, by the way? The, The Jets really well beat the Cowboys and then look like they didn't even belong in this league against the Patriots. And the Cowboys destroyed the Eagles. And right. That's why college football is so weird because it's yeah. like the only data team point beat, that you have. Team beat team beat like doesn't work. Yeah. It's all um, whatchamacallit. Math theory. Uh, the math um, theory. I can't. Th- oh, I just lost my <laughs> the uh, yeah, I'll think of it. Denver Broncos at the Indianapolis Colts. <laughs> Uh, there's like the nothing. I- if, if A is greater than B and B is greater than C, then A is greater than C. That. Yeah. The yeah. heck's it called? I can't remember. That's, a, that's got a name? Why are we live? Cut this. Why are we live? Think, we can't do that anymore. Oh, man. We, when I, back in the day, we, we used, used to, to screw up all the time. Right. Cut. We used to be able to strip out all the idiocy. Now it's out there. <sighs> Google, or YouTube has already closed captioning. You're fumbling. And God knows what words. Maybe when I say it. it, go see. Maybe if I say it, they'll tell me what it is. <laughs> You just described transitive it. Transitive property. Yeah. My goodness. Oh, there you go. Transitive. You described it and, and Google just closed captioned it for you. Ugh. So the NFL transitive property doesn't work at all, right. all. No. In college, their whole system is built off of that. Yeah. Well, you beat Miami and Miami beat this team and this team beat Alabama. Therefore, FIU is better than Bama. Hmm. That's how they do it. Yeah. That's anyway. pretty stupid. They shouldn't do that. Well, they don't have much of a choice. They don't all play each other. All right, let's go. Denver Broncos at the Indian at the Indianapolis Colts. Nothing like a nice Peyton Manning Andrew Luck matchup this week. Okay. Every now and again, I just go into a little time warp. Yeah. Uh, you want to see Jacoby Brissett against Denver's coverage? Yeah. You want to see nothing? I don't want to see any of it. No this notes. Here, <laughs> I don't want to watch it. Sometimes you go through the games and you're like, I've got no notes. I'll come back to it. Oops, I forgot. It's not even that I forgot. It's just, you know what? I really can't think of anything I want to see in this game. You want to piggyback on mine? Jacoby Brissett against Denver's coverage. Denver's got the number four coverage grade in the NFL. Jacoby Brissett coming off a really nice game against Houston. I'm not completely buying Jacoby Brissett yet. 
You I buying mean, them yet? Is anybody? Like what? A lot of people. Buy I them. guess what's the buying what? Yeah, I guess that's fair. Like you know what I mean? Like I'm not who's nobody's buying them as like a Pro Bowl caliber player, right? Now, are you no. buying him as a viable starter? Okay, sure. So when we came into the um, season, we put him in the bottom third of NFL quarterbacks. I don't know that he's moved off that. No, I. I mean, I would say he might be in that stats borderline, stats right? Otherwise. If you're if you're hacking him into thirds, he might be in that borderline between tier two and tier three. But would you want to put him much higher than that? Anybody? No, well, currently number 28 in PFF grade, 62.9. So he's matching up with what we thought preseason from a grading standpoint, but he's got 14 touchdowns, three picks, 101.4 passer rating. So they're scheming it up pretty well. And, you know, he's looking pretty good. Throwing a ton of touchdowns. Sure. I think in Indy, they're literally going back and forth every week with like, oh, he's not the guy. Look at this terrible game. And then, oh, he's got four touchdowns. He's the guy going forward, investing him. I don't. I think that's the nature of a, of a bottom third quarterback, the Daniel Jonesy type of quarterback. I mean, he's good. He's in that group of he's good enough to win right now. And, you know, but we're going to keep our eye out. Yeah. I like that he's only been sacked seven times, which is a huge thing for him because that was one of his biggest flaws was the sure. dude would take a hell of a lot of sacks he didn't need to take. I think overall, particularly in, in the red zone, the biggest difference from 17 when he was a starter to now he's playing much more efficient football, not taking the sacks, not holding the ball as long. You got the great offensive line. I want to watch Quentin Nelson play every single week, so that's always fun. Um, and Indy's just, you know, I want to see this. I want to see this week in, week out consistency from Indy. They beat Kansas City and Houston back to back. Yeah, and those are, you know, because of their quarterback play, those are the two teams people think are going to compete with New England in the AFC. But Indy, as much as we talk about QB driven league and all this stuff, Indy's got the other pieces on the team helping to elevate the quarterback and maybe have the best, most well-rounded team in the uh, AFC besides New England right now. Yeah, I mean, we've said it before that the the real tragedy of Andrew Luck walking away is this was the best roster he's ever been on, and we don't get to see what Andrew Luck would have done with this Colts roster. But it does mean that the roster is good enough that they can still be dangerous and contend with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback, which is, if nothing else, a massive downgrade from Andrew Luck, wherever you want to put Brissett right now. I would assume everybody acknowledges that's a significant downgrade. Joe Flacco has, um, I mean, I'm sorry. There's what? not much more. When can Drew Locke come back? There's not a much more consistent player than, than Joe Flacco these yeah, last few consistently years. Consistently depressing. Since 2015, 65. John Elway says Drew Locke is not ready to play right now. Joe Flacco's passing grades since 2015 have been between 64.9 and 70.6. So yeah. five straight years, including this year, between about six points and that's, PFF passing grade. And that's five to ten points lower than Kirk Cousins, who everybody thinks sucks. Oh, yeah. And it's well lower than, like, Flacco's peak was, we had 2009 at 80, 2010 at 78, 2012, 76. Um, and that stretch in 2012 was much higher, but that was only a stretch. People forget. The Super Bowl year, he was bad for most of it. Yeah, he, just, he went on like a five-game run that made him $100 million. Really did. And a reputation. Yeah. John so, Elway explains consistent. why Broncos likely won't be starting rookie quarterback Drew Locke anytime soon. He doesn't. He didn't look great in the preseason anyway. Right, but li- there's literally no purpose of watching Denver anymore until he plays. Oh, so that's... So all I'm, all I'm looking for is the reason to watch oh, okay. Denver. And yeah, I'm not so finding it. 
That's why you left that blank? Yeah, because Drew Locke can't play yet. And right. apparently is some way away from playing yet. We're all taking Indy. I want to see Brissett against a pretty good Denver coverage unit. But okay. it's in a dome. He should be okay. Oakland Raiders at Houston Texans. Gary and Conley revenge game. Another revenge game. Yes. Texans secondary in general. This is one of the biggest stories. Because they're if they can cover a little bit better, they're a legit contender in the AFC. If they're not, they get torched. Yeah. I mean, if they if they can't get better there, they get, they'll get torched. Conley's interesting because the general um, the general sort of narrative on him is well, if he plays a lot more man coverage, he'll be fine because that's his thing. He's good at man coverage, not good at zone coverage. They just had him in the wrong system. Um, and there's something like with most of these narratives, there's like a kernel of truth somewhere hidden in the background. Like those Ohio State corners all play a ton of man coverage. They all play in the system where they're not even instructed to look back for the ball. This is, but they're the, usually pretty sticky in man right. coverage. They they make up for that by the fact they're sticky in man coverage. They're good at stick. They're good at mirroring receivers and don't. What have you done to your water bottle? There's just debris in here. How am I always finding debris in my water bottle? Have you cleaned it ever? I cleaned it last night. Where would it be coming from? Well, it depends when you cleaned it. Like what is that? Is it coming from <laughs> inside the bottle? Yeah. What is that? That's like it shows up every now and again. That's I think a lot. It's like it tastes. Is it potentially oh. like the? Is there like a lip in the inside it that it could be like encrusting on and then you know you think disintegrating that's, off into that's your disgusting. thing? Disgusting. Well, yeah. I can't show the logo on TV, right? I probably not. I don't mean I think the logo is at least your problem. Is you can probably whatever's floating in it is. I, think I need a new. Try cleaning it again tonight. Give yeah, I think not. you should. I'm not going to drink from that. At the very minimum, right you should rinse it out and try is, and get rid of the crap that's in it. This is great content. Yeah. What were you um, talking about? The Ohio State corners. Yeah, yeah. So they play a lot of man coverage. They don't look back for the ball. They mirror receivers very well. And it's it's one of the issues with sort of draft evaluation of those guys. Like, well, they do this thing really well, but how does that relate to a bunch of the other crap they're going to have to do at the NFL level? Um, the other thing, by the way, is everyone acts as if cornerbacks should always look back for the ball, right? When you're playing man coverage, you're looking at the receiver a lot of times. Everybody, every single time a ball arrives, like, well, he didn't look back for it. What a that's terrible technique. Like, well, sometimes it isn't, right? There are a lot of times. Yeah, of course. Well, A, there's a lot of systems like this one where they literally instruct you never to do it. Don't look back for the ball because if you do that, you lose the receiver. Once you start looking back here, the guy that was over here, you don't know where he is anymore unless you keep your hand on him and that's hard to do. So there are some systems that literally teach you not to ever do it. There are other times where... In most systems, they will instruct you, depending on where you are, if you've been, you know, if you've been stacked, if you're out of phase, whatever. There are times where you should not be looking back for the ball. You need to play the receiver. Right. So the fact that he didn't look back for the ball is not necessarily bad. And then a lot of the time it's like where you get screwed is Joe Flacco is playing quarterback. So the ball seven yards behind where it's supposed to be. And because you're playing the man trying to get back in phase. He stops trying to come back for the ball. You run into him, and it's like pass interference. Idiot never looked back for the ball. It's like, well, he didn't, but he probably shouldn't have, and it's only the fact that the pass was so bad. Right, and then you ran into the guy. Yeah, that it bailed him out and got pass interference. Anyway, the point is, Gary and Conley comes from this Ohio State system where they play a ton of man coverage, but if you look at his splits at the NFL level, he hasn't actually been markedly better in man coverage than he has in zone coverage. He's been, you know, equally meh at everything yeah. so maybe it will help or maybe he just hasn't been very good yet was what i was going for with oh, that. i gotcha you know what drives me nuts about all that stuff you were talking about though what 
I feel like there's a lot of announcers who feel like they need to answer the question about whether or not face guarding is legal in the NFL. It's like, <laughs> who's asking you that every time? Well, we know, you know, just so you know, face guarding, there's no such thing as face guarding in the NFL. Well, I, thanks for clarifying. I got flagged for face guarding once. It also isn't a penalty in the, in the Irish League. No, and yet, should it be. I got flagged for it. I got flagged for something that wasn't a penalty. But so many announcers seem like they're confused when a guy doesn't look for the ball and then he gets a penalty. And then they do say, well, you got to turn and you got to like the penalty was not because he didn't turn. It's not because he face guarded. And then somebody's like, well, there's no face guarding, but they got him face. Like, no, it's just because he made contact. Mm-hmm. It's strictly based off of contact. That's it. Yeah. You make contact with a guy early. It's a flag. The whole like if you time it up perfectly, it's a great play. The whole pass interference thing is a disaster right now. Generally, it is. But a large I, part of it is people don't know I, the rule. No, I know. Contact is okay. Contact impeding, and I think it says severely impeding. So the thing, the guy is, to the ball is not okay. It's like touching him is fine. Yeah, but like it's one of those things where like a little bit of contact goes a long way down the right. But that's not like you know. There's a degree to which we should, in order for there not to be a play on every single pass, we need to accept a certain degree of contact from both sides, yeah. right? And the fact that you may have been the guy that got away with the last bit that was the decisive piece of contact. That's the price of doing business, right? In order to, if I want to throw a flag on that, I've got to throw a flag on every single pass that goes in the air. And I'm not willing to do that. Consequently, you need to kind of suck it up and, you know, man up. When he nudges you at the end, fight through it, deal with it, unlucky. Or nudge him first so he can't do it to you. But this idea that like every piece of contact is immediately pass interference because he touched him, but that isn't the rule. It has to severely impede him from getting the ball. And he didn't. Anyway, I like the investment by the Texans. However, it's a good gamble, I think, for them. They gave up another draft pick. Yeah. And they're making their general manager job far less attractive for me the more that they do that. Just saying. <laughs> the more they're going to trade draft picks, the less interesting. The, the jokes do kind of write themselves, though, in terms of, you know, Bill O'Brien making sure that whoever becomes yeah. the GM has no actual job to I'm do. I'm the GM. We've traded away all the picks. Uh, we couldn't cover this week. I'm going to go get a corner. What do we? Oh, we got a three left. Do it. Anyway, Gary and Conley. I like the. I, I think he could have. He's worth. He's worth the gamble. Mm-hmm. I, that's the type of investment that I like. This is an interesting game in terms of the Raiders have looked very prone to getting their ass kicked when they've run up against a good team, other than the Colts, right? Uh, which is starting to look more and more like an aberration than you know. An indication of anything. The people think we don't give the Raiders enough credit. Can you give them more credit? No, because I'm about to. Well, I'm not. I'm not going to say they're not, but we'll give them credit Monday. The Texans are quite a good team. So where does where does that fall in the spectrum? Do they get another ass kicking, or do they actually show up well against a decent team? This is the question. This is why this game is worth watching. The Texans, unlike the Broncos, Texans have their own inconsistency. This is true. So we have no idea what's going to happen. In this I'm game, just I'm giving you a reason to watch the game that isn't there for the Denver game. All right. Green Bay Packers at the Kansas City Chiefs. It's Aaron Rodgers against Patrick Mahomes. No. Let's redo that. Just in, well, no. Let's redo that. Unless he has been practicing. He can barely even jog. Look, Dr. Costco thinks there's a chance he might play. <laughs> Ah. We've got some segments on YouTube with Dr. Pomerantz, well-respected surgeon yeah. in the area here. In Is he a surgeon or just a radiologist, radiographer? I don't radi- know. I kind of guessed in the middle. Guy of that, that reads an MRI and an x-ray. Anyway, he does a really nice job, Dr. Pomerantz. Yeah. 
um, we might need Dr. Costco to help diagnose the Mahomes injury. Yeah. So this is, it was interesting because they were really, uh, Rap Sheet, Ian Rappaport reported yesterday, I think, it was yesterday, right? That, um, oh, Rap Sheet had some Jets news I meant to drop. That he might be back at practice. Mahomes, back at practice, having been supposed to be out for like weeks, maybe the season's over, panic, disaster. But he might be back at practice this week. Um, and then there's video. So he posted that. Uh, Dr. David Chow, who's a lot like Dr. Pomerantz in terms of, you know, looking at the film, giving it a proper injury diagnosis from it. He was like, if he's practicing this week, he's superhuman. And if he plays on Sunday, he's not even human. Like he's complete alien. Um, and then sure, sure enough, he was practicing. So at the very minimum, Patrick Mahomes right now is superhuman. And they have a bye coming up too. Like I, I'm not expecting him to. Oh, I'm not either. I, I mean, I think. But the fact that he's even out there practicing, like it's not. So, you know, people have made the point that, well, Andy Reid is just sort of playing coy, right? Why, you know, let's make it like he might play so the Packers right. don't have to waste their time, you know, preparing for him. But the fact that he was even out there doing anything is is legitimately noteworthy. Like that. That's not supposed to happen, even if, you know, you're trying to be coy and act like he might play. Like, the fact that he was doing anything, taking any kind of reps, is insane. Can I give you the Jets news from Rap Sheet? Do it. From NFL Now. Mm -hmm. I'll be on there on Friday. I think they get back. They haven't got back to us yet, but probably. Jets linebacker CJ Mosley is still on the sidelines as the team does a deep dive into his groin. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So sorry we missed that piece of news for the <laughs> Jets Jaguars game. We interrupt. Oh, we're this such Chiefs, children. This Chiefs Packers. Um. Anyway, Chiefs Packers <laughs> preview for the. I, I'm curious to see what they find. <laughs> what they find in the deep dive into his groin. How deep do you have to go <laughs> to find what? Does Rap Sheet do that on purpose? Like that's you a quote do. from him. You on can't TV. make that mistake. No, there's no way you can you can drop that and not notice. Do you think he has his own teleprompter and he's just like writing this thing out? Like, oh, yeah. this is gonna be great. You can't drop a double a double entendre like that and not not know it. I mean, if it's a tweet, you get to construct it and take some time. If you're saying it, like he had to have prepared that. <laughs> you can't just say that on a way. Oh yeah, deep dive into his groin and then like, oh, that sounds funky. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> okay, Packers and Chiefs. So the big question, if Mahomes doesn't play, is what do you do with Matt Moore? How do you construct offense behind him? You've got a great play caller. You've got good well, play so makers. That, yeah. So there's a, there's a chance here. That now becomes really interesting, right? Let's assume Mahomes isn't playing. Now it's Matt Moore, the Andy Reid offense, which is one of the best offensive systems in the NFL, um, going up against this Green Bay Packers team, which is creative, right? Mike Patton on the back end, um, he's able to do some – creative things up front in terms of pressure. He's able to do some stuff on the back end in terms of disguises. Like this is now a fascinating cat and mouse game between not because the offense is amazing and the defense needs to sort of hold, do what it can, but because now you've got an amazing system, um, but a very limited quarterback who, right. you know, is capable of doing some things, but ultimately is, you know, the thing that should be restricting this or needs to be protected by the offensive system going up against the defensive system that's going out, out to, you know, causing problems. The Kansas City off, uh, offensive line started the season really well. Last few weeks have not been good. Some yeah. injuries, some new players in there. To me, that that's a concern even if Mahomes was in this game. You know, even if Mahomes is in there, that's a that's an issue going up against Green Bay. So that's, that's where I worry if Matt Moore's there. Obviously, you know that um, 
Mahomes can handle some of that pressure and uh-huh. everything. I don't know how Matt Moore would be able to handle the pressure and not, you know, be, doesn't have the same ability to create outside the pocket. Yeah, he had at least one really nice play last week when he came in where he, you know, sidestepped some pressure and made a nice throw. I think that was a Tyreek Hill play. That was, yeah. That, uh, was, that was in a, a tight pocket. So he's capable of doing it. It's just unlikely to be as often as Mahomes. And it's really how many bad plays happen between each one of those. Yeah, so that's... I can't believe we all went Green Bay with this. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just... I wasn't sure on this one. I, I could see this going either way with it being in Kansas City. I look at it like this, right? If you had Alex Smith under center... It'd be a pretty good game. I'd still probably go Green Bay. Really? What, Alex what about Smith. 2017 Alex Smith? No, the same guy. 2017 Alex Smith, you go Green yeah. Bay. He led the league in passer rating, had Tyree killed to throw to, had play caller Andy Reid. I'd still go with Rodgers. Huh. If it was Mahomes, I'd lean Kansas City. If you could guarantee me this was 2017 Alex Smith, I think I'd take the Chiefs in this. Okay. Interesting. Well, it's Matt Moore. Yes. Who would probably would have to play a really good game, I think, to get to 2017 Alex Smith level. Yeah. And that's why I'm going Green Bay. Okay. That's Sunday night football, right? That is Sunday night football. And then Monday night football. Hey, Wait, we have a choice here. We could go into a deeper dive on the Packers and Chiefs, or we could talk Dolphins, Steelers, Monday night football. Or we could just we could just hit it quickly and then bail. Okay, we can, um, we can leave. So Dolphins, Steelers. Every year you get these games where it's like, yeah, I can see how earlier in the season when you're making the schedule, this looked great, and then things happened and injuries struck and the wheels mm-hmm. fell off and bad, bad, bad. How did this ever look good? Somebody got this game and thought, yeah, this is a primetime game. Miami at Pittsburgh. What? Maybe they do what I do, and they're like, look at it. It's Marino and uh, the Steelers. Yeah. Marino against whoever the hell they had back in the the late 80s. It's Marino against the Steelers' new 3-4 zone blitz. Do they? Yeah. They only crossed over for like a couple of years, right? Yeah, a few years. A few year crossover. Who was like... was it not? Uh, it was pre Cower, right? When the the majority of Marino's career would have been pre Bill Cower. Oh yeah, Chuck yeah. Noll. Yeah, yeah. Let's not try to talk history without Eric here helping us out. <laughs> Which is so, ironic, since he's the youngest of the three of us. Mason Rudolph back. Ugh. I mean, this. <laughs> what are we looking for here? I, I, I don't know. Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, this will be my question every week. Is this the week that Ryan Fitzpatrick <laughs> stumbles into a win? Ruins Miami's future by stumbling into a win. YOLO and the ball down the field, left, right, and center. I've been thinking more and more about this whole tank thing. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Plus, I've been studying some numbers and stuff like oh, that. God, I wish Look, you wouldn't do that. You know, I don't think the number one pick matters all that much. Really? So when when I thought that there was a Trevor Lawrence at the end of the tunnel, and I thought that Trevor Lawrence was... A slam dunk. So here's the thing, right? I never got around to seeing more Trevor Lawrence from like the first game I ever saw of him, which didn't impress me. And so all last year, everyone was like, this guy's the best quarterback prospect we've ever seen. Well, go watch more of last year. Go fire it up right no, now. No, no, no. So I'm like, yeah, I never saw any of that, right? So I'm like, well, all I've seen is him not being good. But everyone assures me he's amazing. Yeah. He's a surefire thing. What the hell happened? I don't know. I don't have a good answer. What is it time... We sh- the NFL thing, right? Stop getting carried away after a couple of weeks, right? Moderate yourself. Yeah. Things swing back. College, we need to stop getting carried away after one season. That's the best season from a freshman I have ever seen. Okay. It's true. Let's watch him do it again. Otherwise, I don't care. I mean, Andrew Luck's redshirt freshman season was the best I ever saw. He kept just, it going. I'm and just then Jameis's was the best. And then Donald we're starting was to close, see, and then We're starting to see quite a lot of players who yeah. – 
appear to be amazing as freshmen and then never get better or, in fact, get worse. Are you suggesting Stop telling me I should be excited by that. All right. We'll just be a whole bunch of emotionless bots and we'll just watch football and say, ooh, that was a great game, but don't, don't no, think about just, it. No, just stop the absurd, like... Best prospect ever. The absurd three steps on conclusion, right? His first year in college was amazing. Therefore, in two years' time, he will be the number one overall pick. It will be the best quarterback prospect we've seen in 25 years, and he will transform the Miami Dolphins. Like, you are like seven steps down the road of things that won't ever happen. Stop it. Stop doing that and wait until he doesn't suck in year two. Cool. So the number one overall pick. That's the only thing I care about. This I'm week. less worried. about. I, I like the Miami rebuild in, in that they've got a million first and second and third round picks over the next couple of years. That's that's, cool. that's the good part of the rebuild. Not necessarily this urge and need to get number one overall, because even this year, I don't know if there's a clean, clear cut difference between Tua and Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert and Jacob Eason and all these guys. I mean, Miami might be in that hole. Let's take two. Let's take two. If they're real creative, <laughs> nobody's going to do that. Why? Huh? You just do it, man. You see, you d- no. There, I, I just do it. appreciate your theoretical approach to as, going after as many quarterbacks as humanly possible. It, but you have absolutely zero, um, zero. You give zero Dallas credence to the concept that like Troy Aikman, Steve, there Wall. are personalities involved here. Dallas was it's not going to go well way ahead of their time. And particularly now in this world of like media shitstorm, that's just not going to happen. You need a man at the top. The the to amount handle. of crap the Redskins took for taking a quarterback in the third round after they took one in the first, and they were right. Yeah, they were so right, and to they do still it. took that amount of crap. Can you imagine Who if they cares? took another one in the first? It doesn't matter. They the took entire Kirk world would have blown better up. Better than RG three, they were right to do it. The the point is the amount of crap you take. You do, no. Teams will not sign. Hedge every bet. Because there's no bet that's strong enough. In addition, hedge everyone. Like in addition to you know the the black ball stuff that's floating around, teams will not sign Colin Kaepernick because of the crap storm that would come with it. Right? They're not going to take two quarterbacks in the first round because they would spend the rest of their life I answering questions about it. Think you're in apples to oranges territory. You're saying teams do not want that kind of ball ache. So that's what I'm looking for on Monday night. <laughs> Debates about the number one pick. Booger's thoughts on who the Dolphins should draft when they have the number one I pick. I can't and wait to see him analyze the wrong play again. What do you think is going to happen at the uh, Genesis halftime show this week? I think there's going to be some terrible music played in black and white that's going to last about a minute and a half before we go up to the next like attention deficit disorder segment. I'm with you on the movie trailers. Right? Is that not a much better idea? Oh, absolutely. Let's just run five trailers for halftime. I'd rather watch somebody playing Sega Genesis from 1991 <laughs> than actually watch the Genesis you could. I don't know how much that thing cost them to put together, but you could save it all by just running five movie trailers in the middle, and I think you'd get more viewers. Oh, mute your uh, picks tweet, by the way. Oh, damn it. It's out. I've, I've given instructions that we need to be made aware mute when this that, that well, goes we're out. We're kind of live on a show right now. I would, still, I would stop talking to you and mute that immediately. Our picks are in. Did anybody... Oh, Anybody alert us? No, no, they didn't. I'm looking at the pick chat. Oh, you know what? I didn't get tagged in it. Well, good for you. You don't have to even mute it. I know. Anyway, that's the week. <sighs> Genesis halftime show. Loved Sega Genesis. They didn't call it the uh, Genesis back or over where we were across the pond. Oh, yeah. What'd they call it again? Mega Drive. Mega Drive? Yeah. 
We went Sega Mega Drive. We had the original Sega. Yep. Then Sega Genesis. So your original Sega was just called the Sega? It was just Sega. So we had the Sega Master System, and then it became the Mega Drive. Interesting. So Mega Drive was Genesis. Yeah. 16-bit system. Yeah. The original was an 8. Yeah, 8-bit. Eight eight and that was bit. the Master System. Nintendo was 8-bit. Yeah. Original Sega was 8. Super the- Nintendo. So then we had this quick experiment with Sega CD. Yeah, that was a disaster. Nothing no, worked bad, well there. Bad, bad. Sega CD was bad, but it was uh-huh. Sega Genesis going with Super Nintendo. Yeah. Head to head. They were the 16-bit yeah, yeah. systems. So it was Mega Drive for you. So did you guys... The Super Nintendo, did you just call it Super Nintendo? Yeah. It didn't get shortened to SNES? Mm, eventually, it may, it may have, but we called it a Super Nintendo. Okay. Yeah. And they probably had the abbreviated, like, just like we were Pro Football Focus and PFF. Right. Now we're just PFF. Mm-hmm. SNES? That's yeah. kind of SNES. That's kind of rough. And what was after that? PlayStation. Then it went to either. No, it was like this brief. So Sega came out with the, was it the Dreamcast? Was there like third thing? That oh, tanked. That was terrible. That was bad. And then PlayStation came and cleared them all out. And N64. N64. And, and then the GameCube. The GameCube was bad. So like, that, that was, was the thing, right? You went, there was the SNES and the Genesis and they were both dominant, right? And then each one, like Nintendo and Sega both balls up their next generation. PlayStation won Sony in. sweeps in. Right. Just swept up the entire yeah. marketplace. Crushed them. Yeah, I always remember being the guy, like, my buddy was always, like, the forefront of the next one. Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm going to stick with Sega Genesis forever until I got to play his PlayStation or whatever. I'm like, oh, boy. Yeah. It's time to make the move. This really sucks. <laughs> I think I'm done. <laughs> anyway, Joe Montana football was one of the first football games I played uh, pretty consistently, and it was great on the old uh, Mega Drive slash Sega Genesis. The Mega Drive. All right, guys, that'll do it. Week 7 preview is in the books. Everybody enjoy Thursday night football. Enjoy the weekend of football. We'll be back on Monday recapping all the action. And the only way to recap it is with PFF Elite. You get your green line picks. You got all your fantasy stuff you need. And, of course, premium stats 2.0. And remember, throw the damn ball. Throw the damn ball. Shop.pff.com. Yeah. Shop.pff.com. Throw the damn ball or... Life advice, always creep back toward average. You having a bad day? Right here. Creep back toward average. Hmm. Go for it. See you guys. Talk to you Monday. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it. After the fact, I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back, so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL.